Hello, everyone. This is Matt Yaling. In the last episode, we discussed injured employees' transition to home. Today, Patty Reinecke and I are joined by Kelly Lose. We will be discussing long-term catastrophic claims management. Welcome, Patty and Kelly. Thank you, Matt. This is Patty Reinecke. I'm the Director of Client Consults and TPA Relationships here at MEC, and I work alongside Matt and Kelly. So we're very honored to have Kelly Lose today. She is one of our senior national catastrophic claims analysts. She's been with Midwest for over 18 years now and spent a lot of that time specializing in the severe life-changing injuries that we sometimes see in the world of workers' compensation. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks. It's good to be here. Wonderful. So we're talking about these catastrophic injuries. I understand sometimes these are more complicated injuries, and it might be a different definition of stability. So when you're dealing these claims with multiple moving parts, what kind of specific things do you need to be addressed before you consider that claim to be as stable as possible? Sure. So the trajectories on these cases vary by the nature of injury and the type of injury. So for an amputation, those are usually quicker to stabilize. And I would consider an amputation injury stable when no further major surgeries are anticipated. You know, sometimes you see tweaks and revisions that are done down the road. I'm talking major surgeries are in the rear view. So they're not looking to take an amputation, say, from below the knee to above. You know, their home and vehicle should be, you know, appropriately modified if, if that's required. A final prosthesis has been fabricated uh, and provided to them. And what I mean by final is sometimes they'll get a device, they'll receive a device that's temporary or transitional that's really just meant to get them accustomed to wearing one, desensitize them um, while their permanent prosthesis is being fabricated and customized. So I want that final prosthesis, that final device that they're going to have for the coming years to be provided to them. They've been weaned off narcotic medication. Um, That's not to say that medication won't still be needed for things like nerve pain, but I like to see them off of narcotic medication. They've completed their physical and occupational therapy. Um, And again, you know, they may do short rounds of physical therapy or occupational therapy with each new device that they receive down the road, uh, but the bulk of it has been completed. And perhaps a determination on return to work has been made, you know, if that's, if that's going to be possible. And the timeline for those is usually six to 12 months. It can take a little bit longer than that at times if, if there's complications that may, you know, extend the, the recovery time, infections, uh, underlying conditions and things like that. But I'm generally looking at about six to 12 months. With spinal cord injuries and uh, traumatic brain injuries, those are a little bit different. The recovery times are a little more protracted. But again, I'm looking for no further major surgeries anticipated. Their living situation should be determined. Are they staying in a facility? Are they able to go back home? If they're able to go back home, you know, again, all of the appropriate modifications should have been made to their existing home. If that's not possible, you know, we've, we've been able to find alternative uh, housing for them. Their treatment becomes more predictable because, you know, Patty, as you point out, stable is, is sort of a difficult thing with, or just looks a little different with these catastrophic cases. So I, I want their treatment team 
to be identified. I want those long-term relationships to be established uh, with all of their doctors. I want to know whether any further gains are expected um, in their recovery. Their medication regimen should be consistent. You know, we're not looking at major changes in the types of medication or the dosing of, of the medication. And the timeline for those is generally 18 to 24 months. And again, there are always outliers, but that's when I'm generally looking to, to see stability uh, in a spinal cord or a, a traumatic brain injury. Burns and multi-traumas, those are a mixed bag. You know, with burns, it really depends on, you know, the percentage of total body surface that's burned and the severity of those burns. Um, multi-trauma cases, again, it, it just really depends on which organs are, are involved and, you know, whether there's underlying conditions or complications. But I would look for some of the same things. You know, their treatment team is established, their medications are consistent, uh, and their final treatment team is is where it's where it's going to be, and that's, that's when I would consider those types of injuries to be fairly stable, from my perspective. Yeah, that's a lot of wonderful information. I think uh, as we talk about long-term catastrophic claims management, you know, the, there's a thought that you know we we say air quotes, you know, medically stable, but those types of injuries always have you know peaks and valleys, even once they've stabilized, right? So knowing that. You know, who's, who continues to be involved in the long-term care of, of an injured employee who's suffered a, a traumatic event, and who's involved indefinitely, I would say? So the file handler, certainly, whether that's you know, one of our self-administered partners or one of our TPA partners, they're managing the, the day-to-day of this case you know, for the duration. The employer is also a possibility, especially if you know, these injured employees are able to return to work with them, you know, they'll be involved in, you know, helping ensure that all of their needs are being met. The nurse case manager plays an enormous role, um, especially for these very medically complicated injuries where they have lots of needs. Initially, I feel that a field case manager, somebody that's going to doctor's appointments, that's visiting the home, and it's really the boots on the ground should be assigned to the file long-term. There are always physician visits and transportation to coordinate supplies and durable medical equipment that, that should be managed. You, know, you always want to ensure, especially with, with these um, employees that have regular supplies, catheters and bandages and things that are on order, that they're just recurring orders. You, know, you want to make sure that they always have enough, but not an enormous surplus of these supplies. So a nurse case manager can help um, ensure that there's always the right amount. They serve as a single point of contact for the employee and their family members and the caregivers in the very likely event that something comes up. And again, it's always just really helpful to have eyes on the situation, somebody who's checking in on the living situation um, that is familiar with family dynamics because that plays a big part in, in an injured employee's recovery as well. So Further down the line, um, you could perhaps move to a telephonic case manager, um, but I would really recommend that for cases that are already medically stable. And perhaps you have a, a telephonic case manager that's assigned for the duration, and you can send them out on task assignment for you know home visits and things like that. But um, a case manager is just invaluable. They're they're great. 
legal expertise. Uh, it's incredibly valuable early on when making compensability and subrogation determinations. Uh, and again, later on in the timeline, if, if settlements of possibility are being considered, um, they can be an excellent resource for jurisdiction-related uh, issues and, and things like that. Midwest always involves both you know, medical and legal staff initially, and we'll keep those folks involved as you know, the need dictates. And then me, the Midwest analyst, you know, I'll be assigned to the duration as well. Wonderful. I think you make up great points that there's just so many details and then it kind of goes to that old analogy, uh, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. And I'm sure when you're dealing with these very medically complicated cases and trying to prevent complications like infections and other things, problems that can cause a lot of medical care that could be avoided or, you know, we would like to avoid at, at any cost. When you're talking about reserving these huge files with this lifetime care that is needed, so how do you separate when you're doing your initial reserves and then after that claim has reached those points that you reached out and said and they've reached the points where they're getting the same medications and the same medical care? What kind of criteria are you using or how are you looking at those to give the best possible reserves to reserve them to the ultimate value of the claim? Sure. So going back to our discussion on, you know, stability, the way that Midwest tends to view our reserving is in two very distinct blocks of time from the inception of, you know, from the date of the injury to the point where medical stability is achieved. And we set reserves then for, for that period of time. And then once the employee has reached medical stability, then I will take a look at reserving basically for the lifetime of the claim. And on the medical side, you know, some of the questions I will ask myself um, are, you know, do we know how much has already been incurred with these cases? You know, in some cases, if we get a, a case that's reported to us and it's already a month or so old, we might have some idea of how much has already been incurred. So that's one of the first things that I seek what are similar injuries reserved for, you know, here at Midwest, we have a great database of similar injuries. You know, I can go look at, you know, a similar type of injury and look to see, you know, what we spent on them. And so that's also a really good resource for me. Are there jurisdictional considerations, uh, fee schedules, uh, or for example, in Pennsylvania, trauma bills can't be repriced. Or in Alabama, there are very strong network discounts. So that is something that I consider when looking at my initial medical reserve. Uh, what do we know about the psychosocial situation? You know, what's their home life like? What, are, what is the long-term care situation look like? And so again, that initial medical reserve for me is from the date the employee is injured until they reach medical stability. And I take that sum and I put it into my reserves in sort of a, a bucket. When that person reaches medical stability or achieves medical stability, I would then look at the future costs and break them into buckets. Say I think, you know, someone's going to have $4,000 a year in prescription bills or $2,000 a year in transportation, and I'll set those out in annual factors. And then those are from that point, you know, for the, for the long term. And we'll set, you know, we definitely don't shy away from, from setting, you know, full lifetime reserves. Um, and that's something that I do once, once medical stability is achieved. On the indemnity side, you know, I'm looking at their age, 
their prior work history and education? Is there a language barrier? What field were they in at the time of injury? And all of those questions really help me decide whether or not there's a possibility that this injured employee is going to ever be able to return to work. And maybe not even with the current employer, but at all. You know, some cases it's just not going to be possible. Again, with jurisdictional considerations, um, is there likely to be scheduled loss versus whole person impairment? Are there cost of living adjustments that should be considered on permanent total disability cases? Are there penalties for safety uh, violations or for positive drug screens? You know, what are their views on horseplay, things like that? Are there employers' liability implications? So there's a lot of questions, you know, that, that vary with each jurisdiction that become very important when reserving for indemnity. And again, if, um, if it's expected that they're going to be permanently and totally disabled, um, we generally put those reserves up right away. I know stair-stepping is kind of a, a no-no, or it's a, it's a, it's a word that uh, gets tossed around in our industry quite a bit, and it really just isn't in our lexicon. I'll forever and always take the facts of the file and make an educated decision on the exposure of the case based on the facts of the case at that time. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for addressing that and answering that for us. I think being involved in many of these claims and working with Kelly for a long time, in the last two years, we've really been engaging our, our customers to be involved in uh, some cat roundtables and reserving's a, a strong component of that discussion. And everyone always wants to know, like, well, what do you think the reserve's going to be on this claim? And, or what should the reserve be on this claim? And I mean, it's a difficult, very difficult question to answer from a perspective of sometimes we're discussing these 10 days after the date of the loss. So it's like, get the crystal ball out here. Uh, but like, as Kelly alluded to, we have a lot of background and history to pull from and say, given our experience and injuries like that we've worked with on these in the past, we have a pretty good idea of what the exposure is going to look like. So yeah, thanks for a- answering that. And, and I, I brought it up and you've mentioned it a couple of times, you know, working with the, the partners and the team and all the different parties, but maybe just talk about that discussion and the long-term involvement of our catastrophic team with the administrators, with the employer, with just the different parties and uh, how, how that's worked for you while you've been at Midwest. It's been a really interesting experience. I think in recent years, we've really made a push to involve our our clients and the third-party administrators. It's really been valuable. It's a great chance for us to fill in gaps on our side, um, but also allow others to pick our brains and really get the information that they need from us and the guidance that they need from us. You know, sometimes, you know, they, they don't have the same, they don't see these claims as often as these types of claims or these types of injuries as often as we do. So I think sometimes it's just an opportunity for, for us to, to guide them through it. So it's, it's really been great sharing that with our, with our partners. Yeah, so I, I agree because a lot of this is just, you know, using each other as a resource. And, and as you said, we, we probably see the catastrophic type injuries a lot more often than an average TPA or of course um, an insured would see. And so being able to share those expectations and what has worked best on prior files, it, it's, a great resource for others, especially it's a, it's a traumatic time for everyone. No one wanted this horrific injury to happen, and it, it does affect um, much more than just that injured employee. So MEC Connects aims to make a difference. Kelly, I'd like to ask you to give us an example of how you've made a difference today. 
That's a great question. Um, I would say that I, I don't work in a vacuum. I make a difference by engaging my team of experts internally and trusting in their expertise in their fields. Um, engage the file handler and glean their jurisdictional knowledge and build upon their relationships with the injured employee. I engage with the employer to understand the ins and outs of their industry and their people and their processes. And collectively, as a team, we uh, ensure that the injured employee has every conceivable thing that they need to cope with and manage these life-changing injuries to achieve the best outcome. Because when we're able to do that and when the injured employee is able to achieve just the best outcome, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Great. But thanks, Kelly. I don't think I could have said it any better. I just want to thank you for joining us today. And for everyone listening, we'd like to thank you for connecting with MEC. We hope MEC Connect has made a positive difference in your day. And stay tuned for future episodes of MEC Connect. Thank you, everyone.